It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected. And picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six and a touchdown. Bell into the middle of that line. And it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. There was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. I want to talk a little bit about the aftermath of the Jets offseason because we went into free agency wondering what they were going to do. And then they went into the draft and we wondered what they were going to do. And before free agency and the draft hit, went and talked to a bunch of people to get some opinions on what the Jets should do or what people thought the Jets might do. And so I wanted to kind of put a bow on that by having some people back to talk about what they think about what the Jets actually did. And so one of those people was a great guest the first time around, and I'm really glad that he was able to come back on the show. Jonas Schwartz, who is an anchor at SNY. He does Sports Night and also, of course, Jets pre and post game live. Jonas, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you. Absolutely. And it's really good to talk after the Jets got themselves a gigantic human being to be Sam Darnold's bodyguard. So let's start with that. What did you think about what the Jets did at the number 11 pick with Mekhi Becton? I loved it. I love the idea of taking Becton himself, the size, the agility. I mean, that size is its a whole other world um, compared to most tackles. And just the, uh, the potential that's there for him is really not just to be a good player, but to be a great player. And I understand everybody's point around when the, when the draft pick was made that, you know, lowest floor, highest ceiling. But I really like the idea of taking a shot at a guy who has this high of a ceiling, who has played very, very well on tape. This isn't... This isn't Vernon Golson, who was a physical specimen, but you, you didn't see it on tape enough. You've seen it on tape enough with Becton, and I think you will only get better. And not only that, the athleticism fits with what the Jets want to do. So that combination of size and speed, I think, really makes him, while he may not be as polished as some of the other tackles or a guy like Worf who you know, went right after him, I, I think he, it gives him the potential to be better than everybody pretty quickly. And one thing that really struck me, Jonas, was getting to know more about Makai Becton by talking to Cameron Teague Robinson from the Courier Journal and then having Makai Becton himself on the podcast to talk to him. You really get a sense of his work ethic and what he's like as a person. And he seems like a first-rate human being all the way. And then when you talk about who he's been working with, and this is a point that Brett Coleman brought up on the podcast, he's been working privately with Duke Manyweather, who's one of the best in the game. We know about the diet that he's put him on, the nutrition plan, the workout plan. It just seems like he's got everything going in the right direction. So for those that were nervous that maybe he's got a long way to go, I don't think that he has that long of a way to go in terms of technique. He certainly has some stuff to fix, but 
I also am very confident that he's going to be able to fix that stuff because when you hear guys like Joe Thomas say that it's stuff that's very fixable and when you hear that he's working with Duke Manyweather not only on technique but also on proper eating, proper diet, proper workout, any of the worries kind of melt away a little bit. Now, there's no guarantees, but I think that he's got as good of a safe zone there as you're going to be able to get. I, listen, I agree with you, and I, and I think, you know, to speak to his character, I think you start to see that some of the mistakes he makes, the play drug test, which let's be real at this point, it's not the same issue it once was. And even when it was an issue a few years ago, we don't have any video of any masks on him doing anything like that. And by the way, <laughs> did that really turn out to be that big of a deal, or is that is that guy having quite a, a nice NFL career? So, uh, you know, we, we didn't have that, and you get the sense it was a stupid, foolish mistake by a guy who's young. And he owned up to it pretty quickly. And um, then you also had in the fact the other concern being the diet. You could tell how seriously he is taking all of this and the family uh, influence on him. I mean, I think what's, you know, what's funny is that we saw how close he was to his family. When he got drafted, we were all going, boy, he's a little old. Oh, no, wait, that's his dad. Because that's how big <laughs> his dad is. We thought his dad could play in the NFL when you saw him on, on ESPN. Um, but you see how tight-knit that family is, and it really gives you the belief that uh, at least going in here, and you never know what happens when people get money, but at least going in here, the kid's heart's in the right place and his determination is in the right place. And not only that, he, and he's talked about this, got a little nasty edge to him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point on the offensive line, and, you know, a guy I got to know well throughout my work on SMY, and, and I just spoke to him recently, he's Willie Cologne. And one thing about Willie, Willie will always tell you, you got to have some dog in you. You want to play in the trenches, you got to have some dog in you. And this kid seems to have some dog in him because when it gets real down there, you need to be tough and you need to swing back. And I think this guy uh, will do that uh, with the best of them. And I just like the idea of it's been very rare uh, watching the Jets over the tons of years. I've, you know, we've watched the Jets. It's very rare to see a Jet player that has such a physical um, advantage over the opponent. And there's that possibility here. And you combine that with the character, and you really could have something here in the Justice. Oh, sure, hoping it works out that way. Joe Douglas, sure, hoping it works out that way. You brought up a great point, Jonas, because the tight-knit nature of that family really plays into his character. Because when he came on the podcast, he talked about how his father instilled in him from a young age that you got to work. If there's something you want, you got to work hard for it. And that he's prepared to do that right off the bat when he comes into New York. So that's something that I'm really excited about. Really pumped up about Denzel Mims, too. Got to be honest with you, Jonas. Didn't think he'd be there at 48. Certainly didn't think he'd be there at 59 after they traded down. And I know that there's some work to do with him as well, but I don't know that it's as drastic as some people have said. You watch his tape, and yeah, he's got some stuff to work on. But man, there is some real talent there. And you look at a guy like Denzel Mims, sure, nothing's guaranteed, but he certainly has the potential to become a really, really good wide receiver in the NFL, which would be a huge help to Sam Darnold in addition to having that big 375-pound bodyguard. Oh, there's no doubt. First of all, not only I think he's going to be at 48, when they traded down at that point, I, I was actually live on a Facebook Live, or, you know, SMY did some Facebook Lives. It was, uh, uh, you know, I was on, uh, I was like, what are they doing? I got scared. Uh, this is, you know, i, I got to grab a wide receiver here. And Joe Douglas played it masterfully. To be able, and Douglas described it as, you know, that group of players that he thought would still be there at 59. Let's pick up the extra pick. He was exactly right. 
when's the last time that's happened with the Jets GM? Uh, so it was it was great maneuvering. I loved it, and I would have loved to pick at forty eight. I loved it even more at fifty nine with them picking up the extra picks. And I agree with you. I, I don't think Mims' issues. You know, the drop seemed like people made a lot out of that. Now, I, I can't confess to watching tons of Baylor football, but, you know, some of it when you have guys like this is there are concentration lapses when they are not challenged to a certain level. And if the guy is right in terms of his determination, his mentality, some of that gets washed away when he gets up to the NFL because he knows he has to bring it on every single play because of the caliber of players that are around him not only on his own team, but obviously the opponents. Um, so I, I, I think he's going to be fine. I think he's going to be he was an excellent draft pick. You get him with Sam Darnold, and they get a connection going. And Rashad Perryman on the other side should give him some space. And the Jets should have really as good a, a, of, a, of a situation of wide receiver as we've seen in a while. Now, would I like there to be a normal offseason for Mims? Would I feel a little bit better about him coming in? Yeah, but that goes for every draft pick that every team has to deal with. So, I mean, he's he's dealt the, the hand that everybody has been dealt. So uh, he better take the offseason, the virtual offseason, pretty seriously. And then I think when he gets in here, him and Darnold can get together and get it going. What about the rest of the draft, Jonas? What did you think of the other picks? Were you surprised that they took a safety so high? Were you surprised that they didn't take more than one wide receiver? What did you think of the asset allocation and the overall selections that Joe Douglas was responsible for during the three-day process? I, I, liked, I liked the draft overall very, very much. I was surprised initially uh, when they took Ashton Davis because your initial thought is, oh, my God, what does this mean for Jamal Adams? Uh, and, you know, I, I've maintained all along that, you know, I don't care whether Jamal Adams skips the virtual offseason. I don't – this is a guy you keep. And eventually, you pay. It doesn't mean you, when you have him under control for a couple of years, just pay him what he wants now. I think Joe Douglas is being smart about this because he has control over Jamal Adams. Uh, as I sort of waited through this and I learned more about Davis, you know, then you start to say, hey, is this more about Marcus May? And then as you, you know, you sort of take it through that. You go, oh, maybe it is, but you know, maybe they can, maybe they all three can fit together because of Davis's versatility. We know how much Greg Williams loves, um, you know, using these guys in the secondary in a versatile fashion, really all over the defense. And I think they, everybody just loves the fact that this kid's character is what it is, which is outstanding. And he's incredibly athletic and a late bloomer and sort of a steal. So I sort of got on board with that and. When you talk about character, one of the things you really like about this draft is all the team captains. Mm -hmm. You know, Joe Douglas has talked an awful lot about culture and having not just the best in football, but the best in all pro sports. And he clearly put his money where his mouth is in the second half of this draft by taking all those team captains. The only pick, and you brought this up about the wide receivers, I, I wish they would have taken another wide receiver. And the only pick I question He's taking James Morgan out of Florida International in the fourth round. One of those, you know, you, you made all, you got those extra fourth rounders, and you know, you use them in some needs. You know, you get P. Ryan, you get Cameron Clark. Boy, I, I understand you can never have enough quarterbacks, and I know they think there's something there with Morgan, and time will tell. But for a team that's got this many needs and holes, I just thought that was that was the only thing that stuck out to me. 
where I was like, man, you got a lot of needs here. You want to use it on, on, on this guy? He's going to take a couple years to develop. You can, you know, everybody acts like backup quarterback was the problem last year. That's not actually true. They had a good backup quarterback. Third string quarterback was the problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is the offensive line was so bad. The starter, well, you got model. And then the second stringer was running for his life and got his knee and his leg bent in two. The third string quarterback was the problem. So I just think this day and age, and maybe I'm scarred a little bit by the price, the Bryce Petties of the world and the Hackenbergs of the world. I, I just thought that was the only pick where I'm going, man, I, I would have rather tried to fill a need here. That the only thing I could think of is that they wanted the lucrative marketing opportunities of putting together Captain Morgan merchandise. It's all I could come up with <laughs> when the actual draft pick was that made, because I agree with perfect. you. Yeah, They should hire you to do it, as a matter of fact, yeah. <laughs> exactly. If they're going to do that, then fine, then I understand it. But otherwise, it was kind of a mysterious pick. Hopefully, it works out better than you and I both think at this moment. Yeah. But I want to ask you a little bit about Jamal Adams before we get into the rest of what the Jets did in the offseason, because that was a key piece here. There was a lot of talk about him sitting out of these non-mandatory activities and I think that you tweeted something along the lines of this doesn't mean anything don't worry about it enjoy your day which is 100% true but the big question now becomes with the new developments of Jamal Adams asking for a trade providing a list of teams that he wants to go to and seemingly just doing everything that he can to get out of New York do you still think that Joe Douglas is going to hold the line here? You said before that you think Douglas realizes that he's got himself a special talent and that the rest of the organization does as well. So in a sense, they'd be crazy to trade him. But the more noise he makes, it's going to make it a lot more difficult. Do you think that what they end up doing ultimately is listening to trade offers, but letting him get this out of his system Maybe he misses some training camp, but once the regular season starts, he comes in and he's a special player like always. And then at the end of the year, they sit down and say, Jamal, I know you were upset at us for not paying you last year. I know there were some things that we need to iron out, but let's get a deal done. Let's make this happen. Let's keep you here in New York. Are you still of the belief that that's what's going to ultimately happen here? Yeah. And listen, people have to understand that, you know, everybody's sort of doing their part here. Jamal Adams doesn't want to play for, you know, he wants the money. Who, who could blame him? Mm-hmm. Uh, you never blame an NFL player because the career is so short and the physicality of the sport, right? They're really laying themselves on the line in a way that you don't see in any other sport, you know, until like UFC or boxing. Um, and so I don't blame Jamal Adams. He's doing his part. He's starting it up, trying to get that money and trying to cause a headache, uh, especially in the offseason. doesn't really bother me. I understand what he's doing. And Joe Douglas is trying to do his part. You know, there's a thing called precedent. You can't just give in and give the guy what he wants when you have so much control over him because what is that? what's the message that sends to everybody else? Hey, you stir it up a little bit, and I have to give you what you want, right? So you don't want to act that way, even though Jamal certainly is set above and beyond and far apart from most of the other players on that team. You don't want to set the precedent of, all right, when the going gets tough, I'm going to fold right to you. You don't want to set that precedent to agents either. So there's no reason to do it yet if you're Joe Douglas other than Jamal keeps stirring the pot. You have the stomach to deal with it. Now, the stuff that happened around the trade deadline last year, that was different because clearly Jamal Adams was very much affected by that on the field for a week or two until ever, and really in that locker room. 
and he's such a locker room leader, and he's such a guy who, you know, like Bart Scott will always tell us when we're watching these games, other guys take their cues from Jamal. And that happens in that locker room during the week, and that happens on the field on Sundays. Also, there's a practice field during the week. So you don't want this to get to the point where Jamal is so soured and bit embittered that other players, that it affects other players and affects the morale of the team. But you also don't want to give in. So there's a sweet spot here for Joe Douglas about when you give in and how much you give in. And I think he's trying to find that. I think he will find that right sweet spot. I think Jamal Adams is a tone setter. Uh, in a way that all franchises would would die to have. Let's talk about another tone setter, and that's the offensive line, because if the offensive line is doing its job, it's going to make things much easier for the offense, not just for Sam Darnold, but obviously Le'Veon Bell as well. We talked about Makai Becton, but let's discuss a little bit about the other moves that were made on the offensive line in the offseason. Greg Van Roten, the Long Island native, comes back home to play for the Jets. You've got Alex Lewis sticking around. As of right now, you know that Brian Winters should still be around, but there were other moves that were made. Connor McGovern is brought in, George Fant. What do you think overall of the moves that were made on the offensive line? Do you think Joe Douglas did enough? Because to be honest with you, Jonas, I've talked about this before. The one thing that I really thought was a mistake other than Graham Glasgow, I would have been willing to pay him a little bit more because I just think it's important to get somebody who's really an established good player at that position who's young and doesn't necessarily have injury issues because you want to really build out that offensive line for the next few years. I also would have tried to sign Jason Peters rather than going after George Fant. It's no disrespect to Fant. He's just completely unproven. You're betting on upside at 28 years old, whereas with Peters, at the very least, you know you've got a guy who can give you one really good year. He still was good last year. And he can come in and help tutor the younger guys like Chuma Adogo. So that, to me, was the big move that I would have made that they didn't. What do you think, though? Would you have tried a little harder for Glasgow? Do you think that maybe they should have tried to pay for Jack Conklin, maybe Peters? Or did you think that everything they did was great? I'm in between. Uh, I, I, you know, I sort of feel like in some cases what I feel better. If Listen, if they had Conklin right now, would I feel better? Yes. But I think what Joe Douglas tried to do, and this is interesting with his roots in Baltimore and Philadelphia, is he tried to make free agency work differently, which is so often we've seen people overpay for past performance, and then we never see that performance again from the player. Mm -hmm. And Douglas really tried to flip this on its head, and he bet on upside, and he's paying, trying to pay for future performance. Now, there's much more risk in doing that, but the payoff can be better in terms of the overall value of the deals. And he obviously thinks there's something with Fant in terms of he's a late bloomer again uh, and very athletic. And if you know what, what Douglas did with that line, there's a couple of things that stand out. One, versatility. Guys who can play all over that line. Why? Well, because people get hurt. And he doesn't want to have to sit and watch a line like he did last year again. And, and by the way, none of us do. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, we all know how bad it was. I mean, that was as bad of an offensive line. I mean, and I watched Jeff Criswell play left tackle. I watched Everett MacGyver play left I mean, that's as bad as it gets when mm-hmm. we saw last year. Um, Wayne Hunter. So, yeah, I mean, we, we can go down the line. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I really, you know, when you look at all these guys, he tried to make sure, you know, McGovern to play center and guard, right? Fan can play either side. Um, I, I like the McGovern pickup. I, I think he stands, uh, uh, you know, I, I think he stands a little bit above everybody else in terms of just ability and belonging. And I, I give, 
you know, I, I'll give Douglas the benefit of the doubt with how these guys fit in for now because of his background in, uh, you know, you know, as an offensive line guru, if you will. And I just think he's trying to get the right deals for the right price for guys who are going to be better for the Jets than they were for their last teams. And I'm intrigued to see if it works out because, look, like I said, guys like Conklin or other guys, yeah, I'd feel better about them, but I, I wouldn't be convinced they're going to be as good here as they were there because how many free agents are as good in the place where they signed for big money as they were with the team they were drafted by? Very few. And, you know, even when it comes to what's going on with a particular guy who just left the Saints, right? I mean, I do wonder why did they, you know, and all Jet fans want him now, right? And, and everybody's sitting there going, well, the next same as Brian Winters, just cut Brian Winters. And I get it. But, you know, I do wonder why were the Saints so eager to part with a, a, you know, I understand there's money there. Why were they so eager to part with a three-time Pro Bowler? You know, so when you have those issues going on, I, I think sometimes you got to sometimes you got to trust the scout's eyes on these things. And I, I'm willing to give Douglas the benefit of the doubt with those free agent moves. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. What'd you think of the internal free agents, the ones he brought back and the ones that he let leave? The biggest ones, obviously, Brian Poole sticks around on a one-year deal. So does Jordan Jenkins. Robbie Anderson out the door to join his old college coach, Matt Rule, in Carolina. Were you surprised that Robbie left? Were you surprised that the other guys stayed? 
Jenkins and Poole staying for the price that they stayed for did surprise me. I wasn't totally surprised that they stuck around, but I was very surprised that they stayed on what seemed to be very team-friendly deals for only one year. And Robbie Anderson leaving didn't really surprise me, but the money he got did. I thought that for that price point, maybe the Jets should have tried a little harder to keep him. What'd you think? I I agree with you 100% on that. I I thought if the money was at that level, I thought he'd be back. But I think that's where Matt Rule being his college coach uh, had some allure for him. And I think when we talk about, you know, I said something about uh, Mekhi Becton earlier, which was you never know how a guy's going to act when he gets the money. And I think Becton will be fine. But I do think they wondered with Robbie how he would be not only with money, but security and, you know, guaranteed money. Because of you know Robbie would get into it a little bit you know off the field now now Robbie is not a bad guy I think anybody who's run across Robbie Anderson knows that he comes from a little spacey but he's not a bad guy but nonetheless he had enough incidents off the field where I think they were worried to give him the amount of years that he wanted combine that with his you know college coach being out there and I think that explains why he left and I also think Joe Douglas having been a part of the team that drafted Rashad Perryman knew he had a capable different direction to go in. Um, you know, all that being said, I, I sort of thought Robbie was emerging and could have done well if he had stayed and kept, uh, you know, kept his focus where it, it needed to be. Poole, I think, makes sense. You need, listen, in this day and age, you know, with the way passing offenses are and the way passing defenses need to be to combat it, you better have uh, some good corners, you know, some good nickel corners play slot receivers. And he certainly, you know, got that done. So I wasn't surprised. Jordan Jenkins, I was, listen, Jordan Jenkins to me, is a guy who has a couple of games a year where he gets some sacks and is a solid player otherwise. Not a great pass rusher. He's solid. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't surprised he didn't get a ton of money uh, on the open market. And I think he made the right move coming back. I think if he can pr- – he's got to prove to people he can generate pass rush on a consistent basis. And I don't think he's done it yet. There's a game or two a year. I mean, two games a year. He racks them up. And uh, so I, I, I think people who watch him closely – understand that and need to see more before they pony him up any more money than he got. Two of the outsiders that they brought in were Brashad Perriman, who you just mentioned to come in and replace Robbie Anderson. He comes here on a one-year deal. And then Pierre Desir, who had gotten released kind of surprisingly from the Indianapolis Colts. He comes here on a one-year deal as well. What'd you think of those moves? Do you think that Perriman was enough to replace Robbie Anderson and maybe they should have done a little bit more for Sam Darnold pre-draft? They got lucky that Mims dropped to them at number 59, but as we said, they ended up only drafting one wide receiver. They signed Perriman, who's probably a downgrade from Robbie Anderson. We're wondering about what Sam Darnold's going to do in year number three. Was that enough? And then with Desir, do you think that's enough of an upgrade in the secondary to really set the Jets in the right direction there? Because as we know... Greg Williams did some magic tricks last year, pulling Bless Austin and Arthur Millette in there and just basically switching up corners at the drop of a hat. But you want a little bit of consistency. Do you think that the seer is enough to steer the ship in the right direction there? Uh, I can't say I think it's enough. I think it was a, a worthwhile chance to take on a guy who I think could play better here than he played in Indy. And I, and I think... You know, I, I think it's, it's a, again, another classic upside play by Douglas. And I think it was a good one. Um, I can't say it's enough. I think the Jets secondary is still an area of need, which is why, you know, you and I, you know, were talking before we came on, which was, you know, our, our you know, Manish Mehta, he keeps reporting about Logan Ryan. I, I think, you know, his addition would certainly make me believe that 
you know, the secondary is more set than just Pierre Desir. I still liked, I still liked the signing. Um, you know, and as far as Perryman goes, the question for Perryman is what were those five games? Were they, you know, at the end of last year, were they a mirage or were they a guy turning the corner? And no one knows yet. Nobody knows if they were if they were the real thing and a guy turning the corner, then he will replace Robbie Anderson perfectly and easily. If it was a mirage, the Jets wide receiving situation continues to be a problem because even if Mims turns out to be great, uh, you know, listen, you have a great slot receiver, but you need somebody on the other side. So you better hope that it's not a mirage with Perryman. But I, I, I don't think it is. I, I, my hope is, listen, none of us really know, but my hope is, is that was a guy turning the corner. And I think, you know, again, with Sam Darnold throwing in the ball, I think, uh, you know, they, they could build some good chemistry together. And, you know, let's forget about Robbie Anderson as much. Robbie Anderson took a lot of good steps last year and, and was challenged by Adam Gase, you know, in doing so. Or Adam, you know, and listen, Adam gets knocked around a lot by people. He deserves some credit for some things, and one of them was challenging Robbie Anderson that it wasn't just enough to be a deep threat. You had to go and win contested battles on balls in the air, and Robbie started to do that. Um, so maybe Adam Gates could do the same thing with a guy like Perryman and certainly hopefully works on the other side with Mims. Um, so, you know, if Perryman can be the real thing, and, and, you know, keep in mind, you bring him back a tight end now who missed almost all of last year Cool, and he really should be a, a guy who, you know, in Herndon, where if he can stay healthy and it wasn't a flash in the pan situation a couple of years ago, be a real weapon for this offense. And then you got Crowder, and then you got Herndon, and you should. One of the things Adam Gase, I think, would even would admit to anybody was just got to be a way to find Le'Veon Bell better situations as a receiver out of the backfield. So when you do all that, all of a sudden there's some options where on the surface it can look like there's not that many. When you look at what this roster looked like in January and you look at it now, how would you grade Joe Douglas? How do you think he did? I'd give him a B plus. Again, I mean, I'm not going to go A plus or A minus. I mean, there wasn't that was splash. There wasn't the splashy upgrade of talent uh, that, you know, you see what happens with other teams. Now, um, you know, I, I just want to be careful on that because every time there is a splashy upgrade of talent in the offseason, it always turns out to be a mirage for teams, almost always. And how many times have I looked at the Baltimore Ravens and gone, wow, what an offseason for Baltimore. And yet every year they're pretty good. Um, and so I, I keep judging Douglas that way because that's where his roots are under Ozzie Newsome. And, you know, so I, I think he went for solid additions. Uh, at prices that made sense that don't box him in down the road and give him flexibility. And so I think he upgraded the talent, but if you want to keep where you're not boxed in and you have flexibility, you're not going to get an A-plus in the uh, offseason addition when it comes to you know, the level of talent. What do you think about the people calling for a playoff mandate for Adam Gase? Are you on board with that? And if not, what do you think he needs to do to show that he improved over last season in order to stay here for 2021? You know, I, Brian Costello has this right in the post. This is about Sam Darnold. I, I see scenarios where Adam Gase, this team takes a setback even record-wise, uh, where Adam Gase can stay if Sam Darnold really takes that next step and becomes, you know, top 10 quarterback in this league, top five quarterback in this league. Uh, I, I think that's what they're going to judge him on. And, you know, I, I think understandably so in the sense of, you know, he's here to be an offensive 
co-offensive innovator. We didn't see much of it last year, although in fairness to Gase, with that offensive line, who, I mean, who would be an offensive innovator with that offensive line? Nobody. So I, I think Gase can stay, and, and Costello wrote this, and I think he was right, and I think he was dead on. Um, if, if Darnold turns the corner, I think Gase can stay. And I see a lot of scenarios where the center's injuries on the defense or something goes wrong defensively, and the offense is good. Well, they'll say to Dar, they'll say to Gase, you know what, you get another year. Um, now, I know that would make the fans happy. I understand that the fans are frustrated. I understand why. Um, I think they overlook to some degree the – I think Gase made his share of mistakes last year, but I think they overlook and don't give him credit for some of his strengths and successes, and one of which was the way they finished the year. Um, now, there were a couple bad losses in there. All right, Miami's today as bad as it gets, and he deserves blame for those. But – he also, if you're going to blame him for those, you've got to give him credit for the W's down the stretch. When we have seen other coaches who everybody like um, have teams give up on them and they just, you know, fall away into the offseason and the record gets and, and the season becomes a joke. So I, I, I think the, the whole thing here is Darnold. And I, I think this year will tell us more than, you know, certainly more than last year what Adam Gase is about as a head coach. And there's one other key here for Gase, not just Darnold. It's showing he can learn from his own mistakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Gase, and, and this is what it comes down to, and I've said this about so many guys, right? I said about Mike McCagnan, with, and it never really happened, but with the middle-round draft picks, if McCagnan, you know, sometimes you've got to give guys a chance to figure out how to do it better, right? That's why you don't fire guys after one year. That's why only bad organizations do that. Mm-hmm. you got to give a guy a chance to size up a situation, see what he got right and what he got wrong. If Gase can sit there and go, boy, I better adjust more, you know, you know, against Cleveland, I left, you know, I can't leave the left tackle on my, can't leave Kelvin Beecham on Miles Garrett to just kill him the whole game and not give him help. I better adjust quicker this year. You know, I better get, I better find a way to get Le'Veon Bell involved better and more, you know, more so this year and in different variety of ways. If he learns from some of those mistakes, then I think he can be a good coach. If he doesn't, then I think we're going to see a rerun of a lot of things. My hope is, because if you talk to him, I've talked to him a couple of times. He's a smart guy. Um, he, my hope is he can size this up and, you know, not only, you know, replicate what went right, but, you know, learn from and adjust from what went wrong. And, re- and not only that, recognize what went wrong and make the adjustment. I've said the same thing. I think if Adam Gase really wants to make his case to stay, it's going to come down to has he shown that he's learned and grown from his mistakes? He's a guy that is known to be very stubborn. He's going to have to overcome that if he wants to be a successful head coach in the NFL. And we're going to see a lot about whether or not he can do that this upcoming season. But I got to ask you about Sam Darnold since you brought him up and tied him Mm -hmm. into Mm -hmm. Adam Gase so prominently. And I think that's true. No question about it. If Sam Darnold takes a major leap forward, I can't see very many scenarios in which Adam Gase gets let go. But if Sam Darnold doesn't take any leap forward, if the Jets don't do well and Darnold struggles, now you could be looking at a scenario where the Johnsons sit together and think, is this the guy that we want going forward? So how likely do you think it is that Darnold takes that leap in year number three? I have said, and I think a lot of people forget this, Darnold did have mono last year. So we don't know exactly how much that took out of him even after he came back. 
This is a year where he's really going to have to show some more consistency. He was up and down year one and two. We don't know how much of that had to do with Mono. And now we hope he's got some better protection around him on the offensive line. The weapons, it's questionable. Do you think they did enough to help Darnold? And do you expect Darnold to be able to take that leap this year that we all thought he would last year? If the offensive line additions work, and Perryman is what they think he can be, then they've done enough for him. And I do think, and you, you hit on both of those situations, the, the, not only the mono, the fact that he comes back, he's playing not with his team in a hole, feeling all this pressure in the world. And keep in mind how young this guy is. You know, you don't know it from listening to him and you forget. I mean, he's younger than Daniel Jones. Isn't he younger than Joe Burrow? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he is young. And he handles himself so maturely, you forget. So he has the mono. Comes back, his team, he's like, everybody treats him like he's a savior. All this pressure on him. And he's playing behind one of the worst offensive lines we've seen. Um, how, how many quarterbacks are going to come through that and look good? And so, yes, he was inconsistent and up and down. He made some mistakes. We went, man, what's with that throw? And, you know, saw the ghosts against New England, although many quarterbacks have seen ghosts against Bill Belichick's defenses. Um, I, I believe this kid's going to take a huge step forward. I, I've been a Sam Darnold guy since they, t- since they took him. I think he's got the greatest improvisational ability that we've seen in a Jets quarterback may, probably ever, other than you would have to say Brett Favre for, you know, first half of one year, right? And maybe you go back to Pat Ryan, but Pat Ryan didn't have near the arm that Sam Darnold had. Pat Ryan was just a mobile guy. Um, and maybe Jeff, Jeff Blake could do some improvisational, but, but none of those guys were on Darnold's level. And so Darnold, I think, is ready to take that big, big step forward and keep in mind what his career at USC was like. When he had an offensive line, he was one of the best in the game. When the offensive line struggled, he struggled. But you know what that makes him? Makes him like every other quarterback. You know, Troy Aikman, when he had no offensive line, didn't look the same as when he had one. So I, I think, you know, I, 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 I just think this is the year where the protection will be better, and this is where the versatility comes in. A couple of guys go down, they can shuffle them around and play reasonably. Whereas last year that line, I mean, that line didn't play reasonably for the first half of the year at all. And then even the second half of the year, they just weren't talented enough. And I think it put Dart in a position to where his – mechanics got sloppy and that's when you start seeing ghosts uh you know when you when you really when you get hit a lot you start seeing ghosts because then you feel pressure that's not there and then you start seeing things on the field that are not there ray lucas would talk about that all the time on our shows and ray knows it we know everybody we can all talk tough sitting on the sidelines here until we get hit like that you get hit like that it leaves a mark and it changes how you play and i think if he can, he and that offensive line can grow together, and you know, I think he can gain some confidence in them. Then I, I, I think he's going to have a big, big year. That's certainly my hope. I mean, we've been waiting a long time for a, a savior quarterback, and and and, and I believe it's him. I, I'm not going to say last year. Last year didn't make me believe it more, but I, I'm not going to let it make me believe it less either. I'm with you, Jonas. I still believe in Sam Darnold. I've got my fingers crossed as well, and I also wanted to let you know. 
that this is why I love having you on the show so much because you made a Pat Ryan reference and you have no idea <laughs> how happy that makes me because I've referenced Pat Ryan about a thousand times and I get a lot of guff for it from the younger fans who don't even remember Pat Ryan. So I love the fact that you were able to come up and not only mention Pat Ryan, but specifically talk about his skill set. That was awesome. And this is why Jets coverage on SNY <laughs> is in terrific hands. Jonas Schwartz, who is the host of Sports Night on SNY, as well as pre and post game live for the Jets coverage on SNY. Thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Hope you'll come back again soon. Like I said, you're one of my favorite guests just because of Pat Ryan alone, not <laughs> even counting all the other cool stuff that you were saying before. So for those that want to check out what you're doing, I know that SNY's got a bit of a weird schedule now with everything going on, and I'm not sure what the situation is with Jets coverage. I know that that's one thing that a lot of people talk about is that they want more Jets coverage on SNY. So maybe tell your bosses about that, that Jets fans are pounding their fists on the table, that they want some more Jets coverage on the channel. Where can they get a hold of you on social media, and what do you got going on over at SNY? Yeah, it's Jonas under slash SMY on Twitter. And you can find me on Facebook, too. I think it's just Jonas.Schwartz on Instagram if you want to find me there. Uh, and, you know, we're doing stuff. We, uh, we've we been doing a lot of stuff that, that you know, hits uh, our website at SMY.TV. Um, once a week, we're doing a show football night in New York. Je- myself, Janae Coakley, Ralph Vacchiano, who, of course, has covered football in this town for a very, very long time. And Janae, of course, has covered the Jets closely uh for the you know last few years now a long time now actually nine ten years now um and does a great job and knows that building inside and out um and, and she certainly knows all the players and the management and the coaches so we're, we talk about football from both the jets and the giants uh it hits the hits our website every friday and uh also we do a lot of these uh loudmouth great debates that we've all been pitching in and doing throughout the week uh so you can catch that on our website and then also on SNY's twitter account as well and again you can always i'm retweeting them all so you can always find jonas under slash smy on twitter and as always great to talk to you buddy and i look forward to doing it again as we get closer to hopefully a season that starts on time make sure that you're following jonas on twitter on instagram and checking out his work at sny.com as well as sny on television if you haven't had a chance to give us a five-star review on itunes yet if you could do that for us we'd really appreciate it easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing doesn't cost you any money, doesn't take you much time, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.